0: Okay, well, if I could regain your attention, please. So this morning, I get the opportunity to speak to you about a real ministry passion for me. And I would say in ministry, I probably have more than two, but uh, two passions of mine uh, as a pastor is, number one, preaching. I do love to preach. And number two, I love to raise leaders. But when I say raise leaders, I can broaden that and say I love to mentor, and I can broaden that even more and say I, I love to invest in other people's growth. I, I love to make disciples. It's something I'm very passionate about. And uh, if you just recall last summer, I was telling you guys that we had two summer interns and really investing in these summer interns was a bit of a dream come true. And I didn't really, I don't think fully adequately explain why it was a dream come true. And so I wanted to actually um, share more of what that was like and why I was so excited. It it awakened and stirred in me this this passion that's always been there. And I was remembered um, just how enjoyable it is to invest in other people's growth. So our summer interns were Daniel Chen and Jordan Kong. I don't think Jordan's here today, but Daniel's back there in the hoodie. You might want to just, yeah, okay, you can, write there he is, right? And so he was one of our summer interns. And now, really, the, the, um, the discipleship, the mentoring, happened in my office. I just bought this love seat. Uh, and, and, and they were there every Thursday uh, in, in my office. And sometimes we would spend the entire morning, sometimes we would spend the entire day. Now, it wasn't as serious as you might think because you put Daniel and I together in a room. I mean, Jordan was there too. And there were certain times that, you know, it was just so fun and we were just laughing together and the guys are inappropriately touching each other. and You know, I mean, it's, it's all of that, right? And then there's other times we're talking about high theology and we got stuck in Romans chapter 9 and we talked about that all morning for three hours. And there was, there was prayer. There was one time where we went to a Catholic church it was, you know, no one's there, so it's the three of us, and I'm talking to them about how, as a pastor, you need to make your number one priority your relationship with God. So it was just very, very full. It was kind of a life on life. It was, it was skills development. It was, it was um, Bible learning. It was devotional. It was prayer. It was, it was planning and logistics. Now I just came on fire in developing them, and I want to explain to you partly why. Because partly why is. Um, Seven years ago, at this very spot where I'm standing, that's when Daniel came to faith. And it was weird because he was coming to our youth group, and he was asking questions. He wasn't a Christian. And for some reason, he kept on coming back every Sunday. And it took about eight months for him to finally make that decision to come to Christ. And I remember Calvin was preaching on that day, and uh, he, he invited people to communion. And I... I was here and I saw Daniel get in line. And I was thinking, does Daniel know what he's doing, right? And so when he got there and he took communion and he knelt down, I ran over to him. I said, Daniel, do you know what you're doing? And he he nodded that he did. And I explained to him, well, if you're taking the Lord's Supper, it means that you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Are you willing to do that? He said, yes. And so three of us surrounded him and we prayed for him. And he received Jesus into his life for the first time. That was seven years ago. And then you fast forward seven years later, and he's interning for us, and he was up here, like figuratively, preaching to the youth. And I'm listening to him preaching to the youth, and I'm just amazed. I'm amazed. I mean, I'm thinking, this guy, he gets it. He gets it. Now, I didn't understand half of what he was saying. That was a joke, joke, that was just, uh, no, because Daniel's a very high, you know, very theological deep thinker. But he gets the gospel and he's able to articulate with such eloquence. And I'm thinking, I I think I had something to do with that, you know? You know, I I played a role in, in his development. And I just thought, what better thing can I ever be doing with my time? This is so incredible that I actually get to play a role in his development as a leader, as a teacher, as a man of God. I remember one time, it wasn't too long ago, I had this theological question, I was noodling on it. Do you know who I called? I called Daniel. Daniel, I'm thinking about this thing, I'm wrestling with, what do you think? Because I trust him. I trust his opinion. He's got really good things to say. And it's just been seven years. Isn't that amazing? Now, my my point is this. When we're called to make disciples, this is not something you you have to do, Although, although it is something you have to do. But it's something you get to do. I mean, this is probably one of the greatest privileges of our lives to be able to contribute to someone else's faith. Now, Jordan, let me tell you about Jordan. I know the Kongs right here are really peeking with interest when I talk about their son, right? Ooh, you know, like... Let me tell you about Jordan. Okay, Jordan went with us on the mission field, 7th grade. We were praying for each of the youth. Ernie got a word for Jordan. God gave him this picture of a rock. Okay, ever since he prayed that over Jordan, I was just like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. This guy is going to be a rock. Fast forward 8 years later, okay, we're at the Richmond eye screening. Only one or two people know this story. So we had a late night meeting. It was the middle of the uh, week. And it was logistics and planning. And then I had to go. I had left... But Jordan was there with Gilbert and Lily, and they were just having this after-meeting conversation. But they could look at Jordan and see there was something heavy on his heart, you know? And Gilbert was thinking, I bet you it's because he's given the devotion the next day, and Andrew's been giving him a lot of pressure, like, you better make this really good. And so he's, you know, kind of worried about his performance. Well, they start to pray, and then Jordan starts to cry. But not just cry, he starts to weep and sob. He's blubbering. They're like, what's going on with Jordan? What's happening? Now get this. What they find out is that Jordan has been carrying this burden because a lot of his former peers in youth ministry went off to college and they're not following Christ anymore. And so his heart is shattered into a million pieces and he's crying and weeping and sobbing out of grief, out of brokenness. Because he, he wants them to have this fullness of Christ. And they've kind of, some of them have abandoned that. That is the heart of a pastor. I'm like, wow. Now, I would like to think that I had a lot to do with that. But the truth is, if I was Jordan, I would be worried about my message I was going to give the next day. That, that would be me. But God is doing something in Jordan, something incredible, and I'm feeling like I have a role to play, you know? And I get to be a part of that. Now, my point is that disciple-making is not something, you have to do this, although you do have to do this. It's something you get to do. Do you see my excitement? Do you understand why I'm so excited? Because eight years ago, he was a rock, and now I see the rock. Seven years ago, Daniel was like, he was a... I mean, he was this really intellectual kid. He was not a Christian. He was really interested in Catholicism and the Pope. And, and, and now he's up here and he's a gospel saturated man preaching the gospel. It's amazing. Not something you just have to do, guys. This is something you get to do. This is a great honor and a great privilege. Now let's get fired up for this mission. Uh, Matthew 28. 19. Matthew 28, 19. Now, I, I want to... Uh, 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 Pastor Calvin did go over the Scripture last week. I want to go over to again, but I want to tell you about, a little bit about the context of this, these verses. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that in the, the Gospel of Matthew, you get this narrative and then a teaching after the narrative that explains the narrative. So Jesus does something... And then you get this teaching that explains what Jesus just did. And it's this pattern that continues all through the Gospel of Matthew. All right, Now, when you go into these verses, which is called the Great Commission, it is pretty deep. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, go and make disciples. There's two ways to do that, baptizing and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Now, this is the teaching. And the question goes, okay, in the Gospel of of Matthew, narrative, then teaching that explains the narrative. What is the narrative? The narrative is Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, that's a pretty big, sizable narrative. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Now, what is the significance? The Great Commission. In other words, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this new life is something that we want to pass on to more and more people. Because that resurrection power can be, wants to, is directed towards working in them. So we got to spread the news and make disciples. Now this is also the last command in the Gospel of Matthew. Think about this. It carries the weight, the significance of the resurrection. And it's the last command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Some people feel like, okay, well, this must be just for pastors. Let me try to clarify that. It's not just for pastors. This is for every single person here who bears the name of Christian. It's not just for me, guys. It's for all of us. And it's not something that we just have to do. But it's something that we get to do. Paul, in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. It's this interesting place in the book of Philippians where he's under house arrest. He very well could be, in, 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 in months to come, beheaded. But he's really kind of weighing out his options, you know. He's thinking, well, I could actually be beheaded. I could die or I could remain. And it's almost like God gives him this choice or he's doing this mental exercise where he's thinking about the two. Which one do I want more, right? And he says something that's actually very, very crisp in his thinking. He says, I'm weighing the two and I don't know which one's better. I could, I could depart from this life and be with Jesus. Or I could stay here. And I, oh, Which one Depart. I would much rather be with Jesus. I'd much rather be with Jesus. But uh, it's better for all my disciples that I remain. So uh, I guess what I'm going to do is just, I'm just going to have to linger around so I can invest in people, so that you may grow in your progress and joy in your faith. So here's Paul saying, look, there's two great options in life. Either I I depart and I be with Jesus, or I stay here for the development of other people in Christ. Because that's the only reason why I'm around. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? The moment that you actually gave your life to Christ, I actually think it would have been a great mercy if God would have just kind of zapped you and killed you on the spot and taking you straight to heaven, right? Then you wouldn't have to linger around in life and and, and experience this life where it's a mixture of joy and suffering. You would just go be with Jesus, and it's just pure joy. But the only reason why that he's chosen to let you linger around is so you can make disciples. That is why you exist. That's why you're here on planet Earth in this life. That's your mission, that is your mission. So how are you doing in this mission that God's given you? Because it really should be priority number one. Priority number one. Make disciples. That's why I'm here on planet Earth. <clears throat> By the way, um, this, is, this is just the introduction to the message. Um, uh, so we are in Multiply chapter 1, uh, section 3. And uh, at this point, I'm going to tell you what the kids are learning, okay? Because we're still in the introduction. Um, This is what the kids are learning. The kids are learning uh, the—it's not the parable. It's the teaching of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. This is really an empowerment moment for all the parents. So, the Good Samaritan. Now, Jesus teaches about this story where there's this uh, Jewish person, we think, that goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And then on the way, he gets mugged. And he gets beaten within an inch of his life left there for dead now along the road comes like two very religious people and then the third person that comes down the road is this samaritan now if you know a little bit of the context there's great racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans so here comes this samaritan he stops he has compassion he bends down, he cleanses this person's wounds. He picks him up, he puts him on the mule. He takes him to the inn. He nurses him through the night. And then he gives money to the innkeeper and says, "Look, look after him. If I owe you anything more, you know, like uh, next month I'll pay you it." Really the idea here is we're making disciples with the right heart, compassion, love right? That's the right heart through which we make disciples. And loving and serving real needs is a way that we make disciples. So that's what the kids are learning right now, okay? but here's the thing. If you go and multiply one three, it it talks about uh, being a disciple maker, but you really need to have the right heart. Now, I'm talking to my wife about this. I'm like, you know, for once I want to stay on script. And she says to me, now this, I'm not blaming my, I'm totally blaming her here. Um, She says to me, That's a good message, but I don't think that's where our church is at. I said, where do you think our church is at? I think our church is just struggling with very practical concerns. Uh, Like what? She goes, number one, I bet you when people hear this this invitation, this, this command to go and make disciples, I bet you the first thing most people in their mind say is, I don't have time for that. okay, well then for the first third of this message, I'm going to talk about, you know, addressing that practical concern. She says, the second thing that people say is that I'm not qualified. I have nothing to offer. I said, okay, well, then the second third of the message, I'll talk about, you know, uh, have some sort of response for people who say, well, I'm not qualified. I don't don't really know much of the Bible. I don't have much much to offer. And then the third thing she said that people have concerns with, they don't know who. Who am I supposed to disciple? Who am I supposed to make into a disciple? And so for the third part of the message, I'm going to talk about that. So let's talk first about um, having no time. I have no time to make disciples. Okay? Can anyone relate to that question? Can you, like, you can, like, nod your head or give me a... Okay. Okay. Rana was wrong. Not everyone. Okay. Okay, now, now, when we talk about time, time to go and make disciples, I bet you most of you think I'm going to say, Well, make the time! Well, yeah, eventually I am going to say that. But that's not the first thing I'm going to say. The first thing I'm going to say is, be intentional with the time that you do have. Let's start there. Be intentional with the time that you do have. How many of you are here right now at church? Raise your hands. (laughs) Sarah, you're not here at church? How many of you after church go and grab coffee or refreshments there uh, in the fellowship hall? Again, most of you. Okay, 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 work with me here. This is time that you already have in your schedule. You're here, and you're going to go have coffee over there. Be intentional with that time. So I'm not, I'm not even talking about creating new categories of time. I'm just saying being strategic and intentional about the time that you do have. So you're going to have coffee, why, and you're going to talk to old friends. Why not talk to someone younger than you in the faith, get to know them better, and talk to you older in the faith and get to know them better as well? One touch younger, one touch older every Sunday. Being strategic with the time that you do have. Okay, here's another example. Be intentional with the time you have. How many of you have kids? Raise your hands. Okay, I should have, I should have qualified that. Kids that uh, don't have a car and can't drive. Okay, okay, you know where I'm going with this. Okay, so you're a parent and they need to go to a dance or they need to go to school. They need to go to a play date or whatever, right? You're ready with them in the car. Don't don't be telling me, I have no time to shut up. You're already doing that. So can we start by being intentional with the time that you do have? Look, you have a captive audience. They can't run away from you. Right there in the car. I'll give you an example. So recently, I was taking Ryan to school. And it's a a 35-minute ride. And before I got in the car, Raina says, you know what you should do? You should talk to Ryan about his friend Mike. Because he has this kind of love-hate relationship with Mike. So I'm in the car with Ryan, and he gets in, and he buckles his seatbelt. And all of a sudden, I have this overwhelming temptation to turn on the radio. Now, I have a couple choices. You know, there's NPR, there's sports radio. I can hear about the latest talk on the 49ers and what they need to get to the Super Bowl again, right? But I'm thinking, oh, okay, okay, I'm grumpy. I don't feel like talking. But I want to disciple my son. Okay, no radio. Ryan, Yeah? I said, captive audience, right? Uh, can we talk about Mike? Because I've kind of observed that you, you, sometimes you really like him, sometimes you really don't. What's going on with your relationship with Mike? And he says to me, you know, M- Mike always hangs around me. Like at school, Ryan's, what, uh, seven years old. He's always sticking with me, and I'm kind of sick of him. So yesterday he said, come sit next to me, Ryan. And I said, I can sit wherever I want to. And I went to go sit with Brian. So suddenly, I didn't really know this about uh, my son, but he's kind of like me in a certain kind of way, right? (laughs) Like, we need our space, right? We need our space. And then all of a sudden, I I just started sharing like a a similar experience. I said, you know, when mommy and I were dating, uh, mommy wanted to talk to me every day. (laughs) And I was more like a twice a week kind of kind of guy. And he says to me, so then, Baba, what happened? I said, Mommy won. <laughs> uh, we talk every day, but, but, but that's not necessarily where you need to go with Mike. Uh, and I sort of say, well, okay, look, look. The, the Bible says that as a Christian, we are supposed to love our enemies. right? So if you're supposed to love your enemies, then how much more should you love your friend? You should love your friend. You should always be loving and kind to Mike. But you can be firm. You can draw boundaries. So can you say something like, um, Mike, why don't I talk to you next time? Or, Mike, I wanted to go talk to Brian. I'm going to sit next to Brian during lunch, but you can come and join us. No, was I being mean doing that? No. Was that that actually nice and loving? Yes. Well, God calls you to be loving all the time, but you can't be firm. So I I pray for my son, and I send him off to school. (laughs) He comes home from school. He goes, I want to go with Mike to go trick-or-treating on Halloween. I'm like, what? Okay, okay, I don't think you got the firm part. Let's go over that again. But, but you know, but here I was. I was thinking. I was thinking about this. I could have sat through 30 minutes of getting the, the greatest insight from these experts about how Kaepernick needs these, these star-wide receivers to actually make it to the Super Bowl. Or I could I actually have redeemed that time to talk to my son about stewarding his relationships so they can be godly relationships. I think one is the better choice. Redeem that time redeem that time make the most of that time let's start there and once we start there let's be open to god creating new categories of our time which does mean that time is going to be spent towards a great commission and not towards stuff like maybe watching tv or K drama or video games or some other stuff that we do we're letting go of these lesser hobbies to make room for a greater hobby which is the great commission But maybe we can have, this is the tip. I was saying, Raina, give me a tip that I can give to the church that would be really, really useful. And she said, well, maybe people can have a room for discipling people and mentoring people like on the way. And did you know, by the way, that that go, it's a participle. And so it can be interpreted as you go, while you go, on the way of going. Now this does not take any burden or pressure off of us. To actually, go to Africa and to the inner city and to you know grandma who doesn't know the Lord's house. By all means, we gotta go. But then there is some nuance in that scripture to say, and by the way, while you are going, make disciples. So while you're going to the grocery store, make disciples. Now, you can say to a younger person, you know, I, I'm really, I have these young kids, I have all these responsibilities. Discipleship is going to look a little bit different between us, maybe like once a month. And it might look like um, I'm trying to herd cats while we talk, or I'm going to the grocery store. At <clears throat> it's not really a bad thing. Uh, one time I had a mentoring moment with Jack Deere. Jack Deere is the writer of several books. He's a national speaker. He's a person with, with, um, with a great calling. I actually was able to get a discipling moment with him. And you know what he did? He was running errands. And I was sitting in this car just like asking him a question while he was running errands. It's possible, even if you are busy, even if you have young kids, to actually intentionally redeem that time. Okay? I wanted to be really pastoral here today and be really, really practical here today. Hopefully, this is meeting people where they're at. Okay, let's talk about concern number two. Concern number two. I think there is a lot of people in our church. I think this one really hits home for a lot of people. I think people feel like, honestly, I don't feel qualified to disciple or to mentor or to lead a home group. I don't feel qualified. I don't know much of the Bible. I don't have a lot of experience with the Holy Spirit. I, I just have very little to offer. Now, again, if this is kind of you, you can give me like a nod. You can give me a flick of the hand. Just let me know that you actually relate to feeling that way. Rena was wrong again. No. I, I've had plenty of conversations with people. I am pretty sure this one hits home. I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. I can't do it. Okay, well, let me respond to this question, the most biblical way I can. Okay, biblically speaking, in the gospel of Mark, Jesus, at one moment, when he did this amazing miracle, this miraculous catch of fish, he looks at Peter, and he says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Not just men, but humankind, of, of people. I will make you a fisher of people. Okay, now here's the question. At what point in time did Peter become a fisher of men? At what point in time did Peter take on the mantle of becoming a fisher of men? Well, people go, naturally, it's in the book of Acts. Um, The Holy Spirit came, and then Peter came front and center, and he gave this amazing talk, and on that day, no, that's not the day. We go, it must be uh, John 21, when uh, Jesus reinstated Peter and his commission. uh, It must be then. No, it wasn't then either. Peter takes on the calling of becoming a fisherman in the very same chapter, chapter 1 of Mark. In one scene, you see Jesus saying, Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And then in that very same chapter, Peter is bringing his mother-in-law to Jesus, who is sick, and Jesus heals her. In the very same chapter, Peter becomes a fisher of men. So the, the question is, at what point do you become qualified to make disciples? And the biblical answer in the narrative is, as soon as you become a growing Christian. As soon as you can say, I am following Jesus. Now, some people here probably can't even say that. Then maybe it's too early to talk about disciple-making. But if you can honestly say, I'm a growing Christian, I'm following Jesus to the best that I know how, then you are qualified to make disciples. Okay, now that's my simple answer. Okay, what's the one criteria that I'm ready? If you're a growing Christian, you're ready. Okay, but here's my more nuanced response, okay? Here's my more nuanced response. Let's take a look at Philip. uh, Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts. And I think if you look at his life through the book of Acts, you can see three stages of development as a disciple-maker. In all three of these stages, he was a disciple-maker right from the beginning, But nevertheless, there was a progression. We're going to go through this pretty quickly, okay? But I'm I'm hoping to be helpful in empowering you guys. Okay, so Philip. Now, if you look in the book of Acts and chapter 6, it's the first time we see the character, the man named Philip. He is named on a list of seven men who were appointed to be deacons. Now, bear with me. The, there was the, the context is there were Greek widows and there were Hebrew widows, and the Greek widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the Greek widows complained. And then the apostles got together and said, listen, listen, our responsibilities are getting too large. We need to recruit some new leaders. So they appointed, actually, the church appointed seven new leaders, and Philip was one of these leaders. He wasn't even the first on the list, but Philip was one of these leaders. Okay? Now, what was Philip in his first stage of development as a disciple-maker? He was this. He was a table waiter. What was he doing? His primary responsibility was to serve people, widows really, and to meet felt needs. That was his primary responsibility, and he was making disciples. Make no mistake. You know, I was talking about Daniel. Daniel, uh, pretty early on in his faith, kind of went through a spiritual slump because his grandmother passed away. And everyone on the staff team, they signed this kind of condolence card, just saying, our heart goes out to you, Daniel. And nowadays, if you ask Daniel, like his testimony, and he talks about his development, he would say that a milestone that got him out of that slump, was just a simple card from the staff team. Just saying, hey, we love you, Daniel. We're praying for you. God bless you. That was it. It was a card. Now, at this stage in Philip's development, he's not preaching. He's just serving people and and meeting needs. But even that can have a tremendous disciple-making effect. Okay, now, uh, stage number two. In Acts chapter 8, we see Philip again. But this time, the church was persecuted, so they spread all out the region. And Philip was one of the people that spread out, and he went to Samaria. Now, at this point in Philip's um, development, Philip is he's, the, hes preaching. Now, I chose this picture because this guy is preaching, right? And I think Philip did something like that because there was a revival around Philip's preaching. He was doing these miracles. He was sharing about Jesus. And all these people were coming to faith. And then the next section, we see this one-on-one between Philip and the Ethiopian, and Calvin went through that last week. And he was sharing Jesus to this Ethiopian, and this Ethiopian came to faith. Now, the primary uh, mode here for Philip is he's teaching, he's preaching, he's through his mouth, through his words, he's sharing about Jesus, and he's making this tremendous impact. But here you see Philip as a preacher. He's preaching, and he's making a tremendous impact in making disciples. Okay, now at this point we go, okay, those are the two celebrated texts where we have Philip. I think we're done. We're not done. Did you know that in Acts chapter 21, we see Philip again? So there is a stage three. Okay, now Philip in this stage, and this is the picture, this is Philip as a father. Now there's scant mention of Philip, but what you see is that Philip has four daughters who prophesy. So Philip was hosting the local church. Paul was there. He was opening his house, hospitality. But he invested in his daughters. And now they prophesy. So there's a lot between the lines here, but let me try to fill that out. This is the final stage of development where Philip is making a tremendous impact, but he's making a tremendous impact just out of being who he is. Ministry just flows from his character. It flows from his heart. He has this tremendous father's heart. And his greatest impact and influence is just being who he is in Christ. Naturally, organically, holistically. He is influencing people. Now, sure, he's teaching, he's serving, but it just comes out from the very center of his heart, from his being. I'm sure he's having, like, these, you know, intentional drives with his children, probably in a chariot. Like, hey, the well, first time I ever saw a chariot, and, you know. And he's probably having these intentional talks, and he's probably doing these bedtime stories when they were young. And then at some point he's saying, listen, God's given you these gifts through the Holy Spirit, and you need to use those gifts to empower other people. And so the daughter started to prophesy. But he was invested, and he was involved, and he was serving and influencing from a father's heart. Three stages of the development— For each of us. In each of those stages, you are disciple maker. Now, some of us say, you know something? I think I'm in stage one. I think I'm in stage one. I don't know much of the Bible. I don't have a lot of experience with the Holy Spirit. I think I'm just in the first stage. And and, and my word to you is, okay, that's great. You can do a tremendous lot just by serving people and loving them and just meeting felt needs. You can totally be involved. You have a role to play. Maybe you're not right in this place to, to, to teach or to mentor. And, and, and that's okay because right now the primary emphasis is love and serve and grow, grow, grow. Grow. Because there's going to be a place of greater impact for you in stage two and later on in stage three. So grow, grow, read that Bible. You can go home and read that Bible. You can read commentaries. You can join that home group and and, and, and as a group, get more into that word. You can spend time listening to God's Holy Spirit and learn what it's like to actually hear God's voice so you can pass that on to other people. Grow. But Don't be satisfied just being in stage one because there's more for you. There's a greater impact for you. And grow. Okay, some of us are in um, literally we're in stage three. Like I have kids. I have kids. So that kind of makes me like a spiritual mother or a spiritual father. But faith-wise, I'm kind of like in stage one. And then, and then we hear things from church like, well, you can't really give to your kids what you don't have for yourself. So this, this, is, my, this is my word to you. Oh, it's the same word as stage one. Grow. <laughs> it's the same word. Grow. Let you rising up so you can be a, a, an effective mentor to your kids. Let that be one of the many reasons why you are all in for Christ. Now, if that's, that's one of your primary motivations... Okay, that's good. I mean, there's, there's more for you. There's more there to motivate you. But let it be one of your primary motivations that you want to grow. You're going to read the scriptures. You're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. You're going to grow. Grow, grow. So that you can be that mentor for your kids. Okay, so the, the simple answer to, like, I don't feel qualified is you are qualified. You're qualified as soon as you're growing Christian. So some of you, it's like, that's the first stop. Just, okay, I'm going to commit to being a growing Christian. But my more nuanced response is, okay, there's different levels, right? There's different levels of stage one, and the emphasis is not really in teaching, but it's in loving and serving. There's stage two, that's where you can teach. Let's aim towards that, but also be faithful for in this stage to grow. And then there's stage three, where it's just, you're you're ministering, but it's just organically from who you are, because you love God, and it's pouring out of you, and so forth. Okay, now let's go to... uh, Oh, I I skipped over this story. Actually, I do want to share this story. It's a good story. I've shared this before. Um, This story was sent to me from Darlette, okay? This is from Darlette. And uh, she's a member of our board. And one time, she was eavesdropping on her son, Matthew, talking with a non Christian friend as they ate dinner. I've shared this story before, but I love this story. And so, uh, Matthew at the time was like age eight. And and so this is is how the the conversation went. Stephen, which is Matthew's friend, he bowed his head and he he was praying before eating. Hannah, who is Stephen's oldest sister, says, Stephen, what are you you doing? Why are you praying? Stephen says, well, I, I, I believe in God. Hannah says, no, you don't. Stephen says, yes, I do. Matt told me about him. Matt says, yeah, I told Stephen all about him. Stephen says, see, and now I believe in God. Okay, let that be an encouragement to you, that if this eight-year-old who is following Jesus can make that kind of impact, so can you. So can you. Actually, he's like in stage two, huh? (laughs) That's pretty good. Wow. Okay, let's move on. I want to talk about question number three. Question number three is who? Who am I supposed to disciple? Who am I supposed to make an investment in? And I I want to try to be as helpful as I possibly can be to people who are just like, I don't know who, okay, this sounds good, maybe I'm stage two, maybe I'm stage one, maybe I'm stage three, but who am I supposed to actually uh, disciple and mentor and make a connection with? Now, if you look in your bulletin, can you take out that life connections diagram? Here is me as your pastor, your shepherd, I'm wanting to be as, as helpful to you as I possibly can, and so really this message is trying to be as practical as I possibly can, and one practical way to kind of help you orient your life towards disciple-making is this diagram, okay? Let me explain this diagram, okay? So we have this diagram, and I, I want to start here. I want to start here. If you go to the right of the diagram, that's a home group. That's a small group, okay? That's the 12. Now, the apostles were in a small group. Did you know that? They were in a small group, and their mentor, obviously, was Jesus. But three years later, their mentor went away, and all they had was each other the memory of the words that Jesus shared and the Holy Spirit. But after their mentor went away, they grew by leaps and bounds. This might be actually a good first place for you to start. Get in a group where you can do mutual discipleship, peer discipleship. All the the, the eight or the ten or the twelve people in the group, they're all studying the same scriptures. They're, they're, They're trying to spur each other on. They're asking good questions. They're praying for one another. They're encouraging one another. If you're not in a home group, this might be the great place for you to start. Now, if you turn that page over, I've listed all the seven home groups that are operational right now. That's a great place for you to start. Now, maybe in the home group, you can find a spiritual buddy. This is also really necessary because it's hard to go really deep with 12. And even with the, with the 12, Jesus didn't go really deep with all of them evenly. He chose three. So maybe in that home group, in your mind, you don't have to say, you don't have to make like, you don't have to tell a person that they're your spiritual buddy, but you can, you know, you have a category for this. And so here I'm calling this person the Peter. Now, if you know in Scripture, what happens is that uh, there was one time that, that Peter gave in to some racist thoughts. And Paul had to rebuke him. Peter needed a Paul. Paul needed a Peter. We need Peters. Who have you given permission to, to speak that way in your life? To keep you accountable? To ask you the hard questions? Now, if you can't write in one's name, the question would be, well, then who can actually do that for you? Now, if you look above the circle, there is a a blank space for a Paul. A Paul would be a mentor. Someone that you've given permission to, to speak into your life. I haven't even defined discipleship. Let me do that now. Sorry, it's it's near the end of the message. Discipleship is to add value to another person's growth in Christ. To add value. So who are you asking to add value and to give... Who are you giving permission to to add value into your growth in Christ? Because we need that. Timothy needed a Paul. I think we all need Pauls. Maybe we can find a Paul in this church. And then below the circle is a space for a Timothy. This is a person who has given you permission, who you are actively adding value to that person's walk with Christ, to their growth in Christ. Now, maybe the better question, as opposed to who's doing that for you now, maybe the better question is who can do that for you? And maybe even a very practical question is uh, some people are like, you know, I'm motivated. I'm ready to go, Pastor Andrew. I'm going to fill out all four at the same time, pursue all four at the same time. Most of us will probably be like, okay, listen, how can we take one intentional step forward? Either to the right, to the left, to the top, to the bottom. How can we take one intentional step forward? Maybe right now you're writing some names. In a moment, I'm going to talk to you about the mentoring connection number three. And what we're doing is we're wanting to give you guys opportunities to create those relationships with other people. But before we can ask and before those uh, relationships are created, it makes sense for us just to have a network of older people and younger people. And from that fertile soil, we can grow things. And that's why the mentoring connection is there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, I'm going to ask Ami and Amy if they would come up here. Ami and Amy have a mentoring relationship. Now, you say, that's kind of funny because last week it was Michelle and Michelle. And this week it's Ami and Amy. Exactly. And then next week it will be Jason Howe, Jason Chan High School, and little Jason Chan. I thought that was funny. Um, okay, here, you, you, you take that. You guys are supposed to be right here with me. Okay, I, I'm not being very um, hierarchical, but so Amy is the mentee and Ami is the mentor. I'm sure there's mutual mentoring, but, but these are generally the roles that they have with one another. Now, Amy, the first question is for you, okay? Now, I bet you when people hear that you're actually being mentored, mentored by Ami, people might be a little surprised. And and certainly I was when I found out. And honestly, the reason why is because I was thinking, where in the world does Amy find the time to be mentored? Now, I say this because she has three young kids. She's actively involved in her home group. And on top of that, she's in missions ministry and the kingdom fund team ministry. All right? So she's fully engaged. You would think she's the last person who would make time in her schedule for mentoring. And by the way, how often do you guys meet and for how long?
1: We meet weekly for about three hours.
0: Did you hear that? Three hours, really? And so Dion's watching the kids. Dion, you're a good man. Good man. Making room for... That's loving her. That's great. Okay, so the question, the first question is, why in the world are you making all this time for this one-on-one mentoring relationship? Why are you doing this? Why make the time?
1: I feel like I I do things that are sort of Christian-based and expected and... Um, but they're sort of compartmentalized into time frames. And what I was missing and what I was not satisfied with was sort of uh, an overall sense of God's presence in my life. So in the, all the in-between times when I'm not serving or not meeting with home group, I wanted more of God.
0: Okay, but let me, let me, let me push a little further. Why? I mean, because obviously three hours a week is a huge commitment, right? So this whole discipleship thing must be pretty important to you. Why are you taking so much time to actually uh, make room for that in your life?
1: Um, I think it's for more depth and quality of my time with God and also to be able to role model for my kids that I, when I'm talking about God, I, I'm really serious about it. And it, it's, it's something that um, actually makes a big difference whether God is just part of your life or if God is sort of underlyingly in your entire life.
0: Okay, well, I mean, thank you for modeling that to us. I mean, it's one thing to say, "Hey, make time for it," but then it's another thing to say, "Amy, you have no time, and yet you have made time." I mean, that's pretty incredible testimony. Okay, Amy, the the next question is for you. Now, Amy, um, so Amy is, I think, a very spiritually accomplished person. I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but but I, I think there's a there's a lot of maturity that you have that I. I that's how I feel about you, Amy, by the way. And so I was thinking, okay, well, how did Ami feel the moment you asked her? Maybe she was feeling a little bit underqualified. And we kind of talked about that, like, oh, I don't, I don't have very much to offer someone that's spiritually mature as Amy. It might be something that, might, that I might think of, Ami might have, have thought of. So did you have those thoughts? And clearly, if you did, you came around those thoughts and you, you said yes, right? So, so did you have those thoughts and how did you come around it?
2: Uh, yeah i thought that exactly um like who me i'm not qualified and what do i know what can i i mean what can i do um but as i thought about it and prayed about i um i think looking at it in a slightly different way helped me to say yes instead of thinking that i could teach someone or i could offer someone it's more of hey, um, if you're willing, we could just journey together in our walk with Mm -hmm. God. As we run after Jesus, if you're willing to journey with me, yeah, I'd be happy to, um, you know, be in a relationship where we encourage each other, be accountable to each other, support each other, and spur each other on. Then that's when I was able to say,
0: okay, and she said yes. Yeah. You know, there's this concept and a principle in what you just shared. And I didn't have really time to put in the message, but I think Ami's pointing out that there's a difference between original authority versus derivative authority. Original authority is like, I am your mentor and I will tell you what to do, right? Because all authority starts with me. Whereas derivative authority is more like, no, the authority comes from Jesus and from his holy scriptures. And so as long as we're both looking to Jesus, although I might be a little bit head in that, as long as we're both looking to Jesus, we can go the same way and I can mentor you because he ultimately is that authority. And so I think that's, that's definitely a, ri- a very right model for mentoring. Okay, so Amy, back to you. Uh, what, do you what do you get out of, out, of, uh, out of your mentoring relationship with Ami? What do you get?
1: Um, I get one-on-one attention. <laughs> <laughs> i i I had been uh, going to um, bible study for a while several years and it was great teaching and there was great fellowship but it was harder to get really deep with one person Mm. and it um, really makes a big difference when you hear from one person you can actually get a lot um, more personal in how you share and you can you feel safe because you've also just built up a, a really strong friendship with them and you can share about things in your life that um, you may not share with other people. And and, and it, it's kind of vice versa, too. So it's a very deeper, uh, much more meaningful relationship that way.
0: And, Ami, the same question to you, which actually people wouldn't think I would ask that question. Because I think normally mentors, they're not thinking, like, what do I get out of this? You know, they're thinking, oh, I want to give. But but what do you get out of being Amy's mentor?
2: Um. Actually, when we originally decided to meet, we were just going to be every other week. And and then it kind of morphed into maybe one week we'll do Bible study and one week we'll do something for fun. But as we um, studied um, what God wanted us to study, as we go through it and learn spiritual truth, and then somehow God would help us to... Just bring those spiritual truth to life. Right. And we experience them in our daily lives, then it becomes exciting. Then I couldn't wait to meet together with her and share. And so we ended up meeting every week. Wow. To, wow. Because it's when when seeing God's truth come to life, experiencing it together, right. then it becomes a lot more exciting and right. it spurs us exactly. on it's like the heart is just burning right. because You know, I want to know what is Jesus doing in your life. And so we ended up, and that's what I get out of it. And
0: I I totally feel the same way, like, as a mentor. Like, it's, it's, it's this incredible joy when I get it, when I get it. But when I see another person getting it, you know then it's like the joy is doubled, you know? Then it's like, wow, this person is getting it, and, and it's, it's, it's a little different from when you just get yourself, but to see someone else get on fire just makes you get more on fire, you know? It's, it's one of these uh, mysterious things that you even get the more out of the giving than actually just being in the receiving end. Uh, can we give these two a, a hand and just thank them? Not just for sharing, but just really for modeling something to our church. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Wami. And then next week we'll have Jason and Jason, right? Okay, um... Last practical thing, if you guys look in your bulletin, there's the mentoring connection number three. Let me give you this, let me just share this idea with you. Uh, I think most of us, you hear Ami and Amy, and you're thinking, how can I get one of those? You know, I want to be in one of those, right? Or you're hearing about the, the home groups, and you're like, how do I get into one of those and and hopefully i'm giving you all the practical material that you you can to just contact those leaders and get that started but but for this the one-on-one mentoring which is also good for you to have that's the whole reason why we have this mentoring connection now we're not saying that you're going to be paired with someone and forever and ever amen but we are saying what we want to do is cultivate a network with for everyone to have people older than them in the faith and people younger than them in the faith this network And from that network, maybe as friendships develop with time, you can ask one person to be your mentor, or maybe, you know, someone asks you to be their mentor, and that will eventually develop. But you got to take baby steps forward. And baby steps forward in our church and our context would be, how about coffee with someone either spiritually older than you or spiritually younger than you? And we want to arrange that. We prayerfully, Uh, think that through, and then we kind of match you up with someone to either have lunch or coffee. And so if you want to be a part of that, put that, sign your name and give it to an usher or give it to me or give it to one of the pastors, and we will try to hook you up with someone. And there's no commitment. You just lunch and coffee just so that you can really develop that network. And from that network in the future, hopefully some good mentoring relationships will come out of that. As I invite the, the worship team to come forward, Please, um, please stand with me, and we'll we'll pray. Father, um, I really wanted to, to preach a, a practical message because I um, I love I love your people. And um, I know that one day they will stand before you. And I think you will talk to them about their faithfulness in obeying the Great Commission. And Father, I I don't want to make any sort of mistake in communication thinking that it's by obeying the Great Commission that people earn heaven. No, 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 no. There's no way you can earn heaven. Heaven... And a relationship with God is a free gift that comes from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And from that, the the, the right response is this life that's busy prioritizing what God would have us prioritize. So I, I just pray that you would help our people to be faithful with your command to go and make disciples, and for people who are in stage one, that they would go, you know, I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna redouble my efforts. And people who are parents, but they're still in stage one, that they would go, I'm going to redouble my efforts. I'm going to take my walk even more seriously. And people who are not following you to say, you know something? I'm going to start following Jesus. And I'm going to, I'm going to start right now. Lord, um, you are a shepherd, and you lead us through a process. Would you please, Holy Spirit, convict us of the next intentional step that you want us to make for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Go ahead and have a seat. And respond back to the Lord with a song.